turn to Revelation chapter 10. Revelation chapter 10. I missed being with you last week. I bring you greetings from um, Brother Kevin's dad, Brother Nelson. I was privileged to preach in that church last week, and, and Brother Kevin always does a good job. So it's, uh, um, it's an honor when I can go, an honor when I can be back, because God's provided so much so well. <clears throat> Revelation chapter 10. We're in the midst of the revelation, and it's a really hard material to, it's hard to hear. So I want to begin this way this morning. Jesus Christ. Would you say that name with me? Jesus Christ. He's the Son of God, second person of the Trinity, the Savior of the world. Jesus Christ left heaven, and he came to earth to show us the Father. He shows us the Father's love as being unconditional. He loves us. He loves everyone. There was no one that He didn't love. He shows us the Father's grace in that He gives us what we don't deserve. He gives us forgiveness. He offers to every person in this room, every person in this world, He offers forgiveness. He gives us Father's love, grace. He gives us the Father's mercy. As Jesus lived on earth in those times when he should have meted out judgment and condemnation, he did not. He shows us God's love. He shows us God's grace. He shows us God's mercy. And he shows us God's patience. I dare say that more than once, Jesus' patience were, were tried and tested while he was on earth. You see, he extended to us love, grace, mercy, when we didn't deserve it. He offers us the free gift of eternal life through his name. So God has patience, right? Nod. Yes. But let me just give you the caveat here. God's patience is not Unending. There comes a time when his patience runs out. And you go, really, Brother Jerry? Well, watch this. Genesis chapter 6, how early is that? I mean, he just created the whole world in Genesis 1. Genesis chapter 6, God says, I regretted that I made man. And he still preached to him, had Noah to preach to him for 120 years, offered him grace. And then the flood came. His patience ran out. Then there was this place called Sodom and Gomorrah. His patience ran out, and he rained fire and brimstone on them. Then you get to the Exodus, and this is two. I'm going to give you three examples of we could go to the whole Bible. But in Exodus, the children of Israel came out of Egypt. God brought them out of slavery, brought them out of captivity, headed them toward the promised land. And they were so hard-headed, they were so stiff-necked, that he got, his patience wore out. He sent, at one time he sent disease, at one time he sent snakes to one whole family that he got fed up with, the family of Korah. He had the, he had the earth to open and swallow them. 
You see, God's patience is not unending. God is loving. God is long-suffering. But his patience has limits. If I go back to that Genesis passage, he says, I will not strive with man forever. Another translation says, I will not contend with man forever. Another translation says, I will not abide with man forever. Another one says, I will not plead with man forever. If I put it in good old South Mississippi, 10 Mile Creek language, what my mom and dad would have said, God says, I will not put up with this forever. You see, the truth is, is that we like to think about all the wonderful things of God, and there are many, but here's what I want to tell you, is that God's patience runs out. We're in the midst of revelation, where God has now offered time after time after time for people to be redeemed, to come to Christ. The story of this judgment begins in chapter 4. We've already covered that. Chapter 4, where the rapture occurs. God's people are caught away. And all of a sudden, the whole earth is into chaos and turmoil and confusion. And yet, God's plan of judgment is systematically unfolding. As we get to chapter 10, two weeks ago we, did, we were in chapter 9. As we get to chapter 10... We see the conditions of the world as we know it are both scary and sad. The scroll, do y'all remember that? Nod, let me know your way. The scroll, which the Lamb had taken from the one on the throne, had six seals. The scroll has now been opened. And with each seal being snapped, one more level of God's judgment came about. And then we have seen seven angels stand, and they were given seven trumpets. And we have now been part of the six of the seven trumpets. And with each trumpet that sounds, judgment gets a little more. If you want to know about the inhabitants left on earth at this point, almost one half, or maybe even more than one half, of the inhabitants are dead at the hands of the Antichrist, sickness, starvation, disease. And even if you go back to chapter 9, you see that 200 million massive army. When I think about all the things the earth is going through, it occurs to me that quite likely the earth nor any of the rulers have had time or resources to deal with all this death. And so across the whole globe, there's the stench of death. And it's unhealthy conditions from a geological and ecological standpoint. The judgment has been so severe that oxygen is reduced. Water is in short supply. Food is in short supply. You get to this point and it's almost too much to bear. You want to put your your, your head in your hands and just cry. But here's what I want to tell you today, folks. Jesus will prevail through it all. It matters not how bad it gets. Jesus will prevail. It seems to me as I read this, it seems to me that God is still giving people time to repent. 
even in the midst of his judgment, he's given them time to repent. But none will. Do you know why? Make no mistake, the same pride that keeps us away from this altar to submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, to crying out to God for help in this decadent society, is the same pride that will be multiplied when the judgment of God is falling. Man's pride and arrogance will still rule his heart. Now we're getting to chapter 10. And we're about, we're about to read it. Seven, six of the seven trumpets have sounded and there's a small break. Just like there were between the sixth and seventh seal. Here's what I'm going to say to you, to everyone in this room. I don't care if you've been a member of this church for all 150 years. It's been a, or if you're the brand new member. Here's what I'm telling you. God delays his judgment so that everyone can be saved. But we have to make the decision to trust and to follow him. This today, as you see on the screen, it's about this mighty angel, this one who we're going to see descending. We're going to talk the whole time about this mighty angel. If you will, if you found the scripture with me, if you will and you can, Let's stand together to read God's holy word. Beginning in verse 1, it says, Then I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven, wrapped in a cloud with a rainbow over his head. His face was like the sun. His legs were like pillars of fire. And he held a little scroll opened in his hand. He put his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land. And he called out with a loud voice like a roaring lion. When he cried out, the seven thunders raised their voices. And when the seven thunders spoke, I, that would be John, was about to write. But I heard a voice from heaven saying, seal up what the seven thunders said. And do not write it down. Then the angel that I had seen standing on the sea and on the land raised his right hand to heaven. He swore by the one who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and what's in it, the earth and what's in it, the sea and what's in it. There will no longer be a delay. But in the days when the seventh angel will blow his trumpet, then the mystery of God will be completed as he announced to his servants the prophets then the voice that i heard from heaven spoke to me again and said go take the scroll that lies open in the hand of the angel who is standing on the sea and on the land so i went to the angel and asked him to give me the little scroll he said to me take and eat it It will be bitter in your stomach, but it will be as sweet as honey in your mouth. Then I took the little scroll from the angel's hand and ate it. It was as sweet as honey in my mouth, but when I ate it, my stomach became bitter. And they said to me, you must prophesy about many peoples, 
nations, languages, and kings. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, my prayer today is that as we study your word, as we understand the future that you have laid out before us, I pray that you will impact our hearts to be ready for that day. I pray that we will fall so much in love with your son, Jesus, that nothing ever distracts us from our journey to you and with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. We read this chapter 10. It's between the sixth and seventh trumpet, and we know that it is a break in the judgment. This chapter is all about this angel. So I want us to talk about this angel. If you've got your bulletin, you're going to be scared to death. You open it up, and you've got six blanks. I want to tell you six things about this angel, okay? The first thing I want you to see is the dissension of this angel, the descension of this angel. John not only saw an angel, he saw a mighty angel who left heaven, coming to earth, descending down to earth. From Scripture, we know that John has seen many angels in his vision for revelation. And yet, and yet there's only been two mighty angels. He's seen angels worshiping. He's seen angels around the Euphrates rivers. He's seen angels blowing trumpets. He's seen more. But this is only the second mighty angel. Some translations call him a strong angel. The first one that he saw signed in chapter 5, verse 2, when it says, when he said, when in heaven said, Who is worthy to open the scroll? That was the first angel. Got another mighty angel here, and who might this angel be? Is it important? I mean, could it be Michael the warrior? Could it be Gabriel the messenger? Who could it be? Now, there's much debate about this angel, about who this angel is, and nobody knows for sure. I am just going to tell you what what it is, appears to me as I have spent an inordinate amount of time studying God's Word. Everything in this vision leads me to the conclusion that this angel is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ. The truth is, is that it's hard to communicate this because so many of us see all these tragedies and they think Revelation is about the end of the end of the world. Revelation is not so much about the end of the world as it is the unveiling or the revelation or the disclosure of our Lord Jesus. We have to see him in every part of what we read and what we study and what God speaks to our heart. And when we lose the fact that this book is all about Jesus, things get out of whack. If I were to compare it to something, days past, uh, science was in an uproar because they never could make the universe work because scientists... In days past, had the earth as the center of the, of the universe, 
and the sun and all the planets revolved around the universe. It always caused a problem. Until one day, Copernicus reordered the universe and he put the sun, S-U-N, the center of the universe, and had everything to rotate around the sun. Now all of a sudden, everything falls into place. It's the same with the Revelation. Nothing is ever going to make sense about this book until the sun, S-O-N, is center. When we put Jesus at the center, everything will make sense. In the Old Testament, Jesus was called an angel of the Lord. In Revelation, he's called the Lion of Judah, the Lamb slain. So now he is the angel. He's ascended from earth to heaven, and now he's come back unveiled. And I'm just going to stop there just for a second to make this point to everybody in this room and those on live stream. One of the reasons that our world is in such a mess today is because too many think I'm the center of the universe. When we get Jesus back to the center of our universe, life gets better. The world gets back into order and things change. The dissension. This angel descended. Now, the second thing I want you to see is the description of this angel. Boy, there's a lot said about this angel. Now, what I want to do... Now, before I do this, don't anybody get taken away or all of this... This is going to be a man's depiction of what he's read in Revelation. This does not mean it's totally accurate, but it does have all the things. So I want to give you a little picture, a man's depiction. You see everything there, things that we're going to talk about in a second. One, land, one foot on land, one foot on sea, the rainbow, the cloud, it goes on and on. So let me just kind of describe this to you as you look at that picture. Maybe you want to write this down. First of all, this angel came, is coming down from heaven. The very reason that I think he's Jesus. Heaven is the, home, is the home. Heaven is the abode of Jesus. It's the place when he left earth on the Mount of Ascension that he, that he went to. It's the place he lives. As John watched Jesus open the seals, and then he observed all the angels sounding the trumpet, it's likely that he saw Jesus change from that, that lamb with a, with a scroll to where he's an angel, a mighty, mighty angel. John knew there was something special about him. He was watching all of this, but he came down from heaven. The second thing I will tell you, you see up here, he's surrounded by the clouds. You see the clouds all around him. He's, and when you, when you connect the dots, I, I want you just to recall with me that Jesus was taken up in a cloud. Paul wrote that he's coming in clouds. Be reminded that in the Old Testament, when the children of Israel were headed toward Canaan, that during the day they were led by a cloud. During the night, best they could tell, it was a pillar of fire. I want to suggest to you, it might not have been a fire. It may have been the Shekinah glory of God. Shekinah is that Hebrew word that speaks of the glory of God. 
It's the glory that Moses could only see in the cleft of the rock. It's the, it's the glory that sent Peter, James, and John to their feet on the Mount of Ascension. It is the glory that called, caused John to fall on his face in Revelation 1 as dead. For me, when I see all of these things, it must be Jesus. Now, he also has a rainbow over his head. This is interesting. It's a completed rainbow. You and I don't see a completed rainbow. We see a rainbow from horizon to horizon. The most that we'll ever see is about half of it. If this picture was totally complete, this is a complete rainbow, which stands for the completed covenant. His face is like the sun. His face is like the sun. That goes back to the Shekinah glory of God. We've seen the glory of Jesus in Scripture when we, when we read about that transfiguration. We've seen the glory of, of Jesus even in Acts 9 on the Damascus Road when Jesus' glory literally blew Saul of Tarsus off the donkey. And here we're using the exact same phrasing. The glorified Jesus is empowered by God the Father. Then you see that it says that his legs, some translations say feet, are like fiery pillars. It's bronze. That, that picture is judgment. You go back to Revelation 1.15, you'll find that the victorious Jesus, you'll find that this stands for him crushing his foes, if you will. And then the dead giveaway for me about this being Jesus, he's got a scroll in his hand. He's got a scroll. Do you remember? No one could take the scroll from the one on the throne except the one who was worthy. They looked all through heaven. They looked all through earth. They looked under heaven, over heaven. They looked under the earth, all over earth. And they couldn't find anyone to take the scroll. No one was worthy until Jesus came forth and took it. Not only did he take that scroll, that scroll at this title deed of earth, he opened the scroll. He's, it's kind of, this title deed of earth is kind of like he's the architect and owner. So now that he's got that scroll in his hand and it's open, now he can start the renovations, the teardown of earth, the building of the new kingdom. He can do anything he wants to. He's the owner and the architect. Every time I read, every time I read this, I think about him planting one foot on the land and one foot on the sea. And we see his, what I'm going to call, dominion. That's the third. See his dominion. The truth is, is that when I see his foot on the land and the sea, it's kind of like Christopher Columbus when he came and he planted his flag and he said, This is ours. Jesus planted his foot on earth, and he said, this is mine. And he claimed it for time and eternity. And right after you did, if you look in your Bible, right after he did that, you see the seven thunders. Well, first of all, you know that thunders are a sign of warning. You know that if we're here on the creek and we begin to hear thunders and see lightning, we know that something's about to happen. And so John was about to write down what that meant, what it said. And a voice said, ah, no, we're going to lock that up. 
We're going to lock that. You're not going to know that. Have you ever thought about why, why they didn't record it? Here's why. I believe it's to remind us that we don't know everything. That we still live in a world where we see through the glass darkly. We live in a culture that wants us to believe that we have everything figured out. We will only understand all of Revelation, all of the Scripture, what God wants for us. We will only understand when we get to heaven, see Him face to face. We will see Him and we will see as we are seen. We will know as we are known. And we'll know Him as King. He's got one foot on the land, one foot on the sea. I want you to see the declaration. The declaration. This angel isn't through. He makes a declaration. Look at there. He says, uh, 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 here I am. He makes a declaration. He says, there will no longer be a delay. It's about verse 7. Into verse 6, there will no longer be delay, but in the days when the seventh angel will blow his trumpet, then the mystery of God will be completed as he announced to his servants the prophet. You see, he says there will be no more delay. There's already been a delay between the sixth and seventh seal. I've mentioned that. There's always been a, we're in a delay now between the sixth and seventh trumpet. Every time there's a delay, are you listening? There's an opportunity for people to come to faith. There's, there is an opportunity for people to get their lives right. The truth is, is that when it says there will be no more delay, this is an Old Testament prayer that has been answered where they said, God, in your, ma- in your wrath, remember mercy. But as we pass this, with this declaration, what we discover is that the mystery of God will be completed Time for grace is past. Opportunity to be saved is past. Opportunity for God's love is past. Now, judgment comes. So, number five, I want you to see the directions. At this point, John is watching this and he's wondering about it. And isn't this interesting? That the voice comes to him and says, John, I want you to go take that scroll from that mighty angel. You think think that might have taken a little bit of courage? A mighty angel? Would you just walk up and take the scroll from him? Oh, yeah. Um, I don't know. But he went over there to take the scroll. And the angel offers him the scroll. And he tells him, To take the scroll. Remember the scroll that no one was worthy to take? Take the scroll and tells him to eat it. Are scrolls on your diet, Jude? No. Takes him to eat it. Tells him to eat it. Now, I want to to paint you this picture here using the Bible. Watch what it tells us about, about consuming God's Word. Jeremiah 15 
Your words were found, and I ate them. Your words became a delight to me, the joy of my heart, for I bear your name, Lord of armies. That's just the first. First Peter, he says, like newborn babes, desire the, poor, the pure milk of the word, so that by it you may grow up into your salvation. I think Psalm 119 is next. And I'll just tell you, if you want to know about the Word of God, go to Psalm 119. So many wonderful passages. But this one says, How sweet your word is to, to my taste, sweeter than honey in my mouth. And then don't forget what Jesus spoke to the devil out of, out of Deuteronomy. He answered, It is written, Man must not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And now the big finish from Ezekiel. Watch what Ezekiel says. He says, He said to me, Son of man, eat what you find here. Eat this scroll. He had been presented a scroll. Then go and speak to the house of Israel. So I opened my mouth, and he fed me the scroll. Son of man, he said to me, feed your stomach and fill your belly with this scroll that I'm giving you. So I ate it, and it was as sweet as honey in my mouth. The truth is the Word of God when we eat it, when we take it in, when we digest it, becomes the sweet bread of life. It offers us answers to the questions that we don't even know we have. God's Word, listen, here's the, here's the picture. God's Word will feed your soul like food does your body. If we ate physically the way we eat spiritually, we would, well, we'd all lose a little weight for sure. Don't you think about it. You go to a meal. And you chew up your food. And boy, it really looks good. And instead of swallowing it, you spit it out. In fact, I, um, Buddy Gray is pastor of a large church in, in the South Birmingham. Buddy and I went to, to a, a meal 2006. I'd just gotten Alabama. And I was really trying to watch what I ate. And so... We, had this, we went to this wonderful place to eat, and I ordered a salad. <laughs> and he ordered whatever. I think he ordered some fish. And I, and I said, well, buddy, I'm trying to lose a few pounds. He said, Brother Jerry said, last year I've lost 103 pounds. I'm intrigued. Are you intrigued? 100 pounds in a year? And I said, buddy, how did you do that? He goes, if I put something in my mouth and it tasted good, I spit it out. That'll do it. You see, that's, that's what we do a lot of times with the Word of God. We take it into our mouths and we chew it. And it tastes sweet. But then we don't apply it. Then we don't, well, we don't listen to it. Then we just kind of spit it out over. A, by, the, by the way, if you don't chew up your food physically, you know you'll mess up your digestive tract. And then you'll have to visit a doctor and get fixed. Folks, we should love the sweet Word of God. The Word of God speaks of grace and mercy and forgiveness and eternal life. It's more than sweet. So what is the thing about it being sour on your stomach? That's what happened to Ezekiel. You see, the truth is you eat that Word and it's sweet for you. And it tells you how to live. It tells you what to do. And man, it encourages you. But when it gets into your gut, 
You begin to become like Isaiah was when he saw the Lord. Isaiah 6. Your king Uzziah died. I saw the Lord. He was high and lifted up. His train filled the temple. And now in the presence of holy God, he realizes what he's not. You see, the message of God turns sour on our stomach because sometimes it gets more than we can stomach because we know that God is love, God is merciful, God is gracious, God is patient. But we also know that God will judge sin. And it hurts us down into our bowels. You see, the only way we're ever going to make any sense of it all is to have a steady, healthy diet of God's Word and God's Spirit to give us His will, to give us His direction, to give us His way. As this angel stands... He's now, Jesus has put a foot on the land, foot on the sea. Oh, and he's raised his hand in victory. I'll just pause a second. We have girls right here that raised their trophy in victory yesterday. Great job, gals. Why don't y'all give them a hand? They want to attract me. Yeah. All right, they've all embarrassed now. That's all right. Do you know that's what Jesus is doing? He's putting a foot on the land, foot on the sea, saying, this is mine, and I'm the victor. And you'll learn that if you read his word. In spite of all the death and destruction, in spite of the judgment of God, he's extending today to you and to me his hand. And that brings us to the last thought. I want you to see the desire of this angel. I want you to see the desire, the heart desire of Jesus. It's written across every page of the Bible. Peter sets it forth for us. Now here, we like this. Watch this. Are you listening? God is not willing that any should perish. Is that not good? God is not willing that any should perish. Sweet in our mouth. When we follow that, when we swallow that with the entirety of the thought, it gets kind of bitter when it says, God is not willing any should perish, but all come to life. Watch this. Through repentance. Oh no, we got to repent. That's the formula. If you're going to have eternal life, that's the formula. If you're going to walk with Jesus, that's the formula. If you're going to miss this part of the revelation and not be on earth when everybody's being killed and destroyed, it's going to be because you repented. Too many want a faith that is simply a get-out-of-hell-free card. And the Bible knows nothing of that type of faith. In fact, it's all or nothing. It's in or out. Jesus, Jesus didn't die 
just so we could, live, we could worship in a beautiful building. Jesus didn't die just so we could be a part of a wonderful group of people. Jesus died to save us from our sin and save us for eternity to a place in heaven. And the only way to redeem that offer is to repent of sin. The mighty angel returns to earth to begin his claim for everyone who claimed him. Nothing or no one sinful will ever see the face of God except as a final judge. God loved the world so much. That he gave his one and only son. That whoever would believe in him. In that belief, there is the admission of sin. In that belief, there is the repentance from sin. In that belief, there is turning to Christ. That whoever believed in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. I don't know about you, but everlasting life sounds a lot better than everlasting death. And oh, by the way, Matthew 16, Jesus said these words. If anyone is going to be saved, he says it this way, if anybody's going to come after me, but it means if anybody's going to be saved, he must deny himself. He must take up his cross He must follow me. If I put it in a preaching outline, he must deny himself. Then he must die to self. And then he must devote himself. Have you done that? We're talking through the end of the world. There will come a time when you'll not have another decision. You'll not have a choice. There'll come a time when the door is closed. And it's eternally too late. It doesn't matter if you've been a member of the New Hope Church, as fine a place as this is. They've been a member of the New Hope family for 70 years or seven minutes. It doesn't matter that your name's on the roll. It doesn't matter that you're sitting here today. It doesn't matter if you read your Bible every day. People do that all the time. But without Jesus in your heart and your life, without giving yourself to him, You will be part of those that are in this world when the mighty angels leaves heaven and plants his feet on earth. I implore you, if you don't know Jesus, come to him today. He's the answer. Let's pray together.